Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. We've been going through the second half of this chapter for several weeks, looking at the lesson, or lessons, I should say, that are taught in these verses. The lesson this morning will be taken from Luke 21, verses 33 through 36. I titled the lesson this morning, Take Heed to Yourselves. Let's read these verses together. Luke chapter 21, verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on all the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now the context of this of these verses is the end. The end. And the end being near. The end, uh, one of the ends that he's talking about throughout this chapter is the end of typical worship. In 70 AD, the Lord put a stop to all that Old Testament uh, typical worship. It was the end of what men, I've heard men refer to it as a national religion the Jewish religion, and the end of the covenant of works. And 70 years after our Lord spoke these words, Titus swept down with a Roman army and just absolutely obliterated Jerusalem. He tore the temple down. There was not one stone standing upon another. But there's another end to which our Lord gives warning, and that is the end of the world. There's a day coming in the which things as we know them shall come to an end. We we tend, because we're human and because we're ignorant, we tend to look around us and, and everything that we plan and do is based on what we see and feel and know in this world. But here's our first lesson, verse 33. Heaven and earth shall pass away. It's not going to be here. Not going to be here. This environment created for us, which allows us to exist in this earth, shall pass away. In 2 Peter 3.10, the Apostle of Christ tells us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, unexpected, unprepared for, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements 
shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything that we know, everything that we call life in this world is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. There was a day early in the history of man when God destroyed civilization all but a handful by a great and all-consuming flood. Men were warned as we are being warned this morning. And despite their ignorance and their callousness and their unbelief, despite their natural reasoning and intellect, God destroyed everything except what He put in that ark. But this end that he's talking about here is going to be greater than that. It's going to be more devastating than that. More destructive, more permanent than the first. Heaven and earth. He flooded heaven and earth, but he didn't destroy it. He destroyed civilization, but now he's going to destroy heaven and earth. Heaven and earth shall pass away. And when He comes with His holy angels, He'll come, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What is the glory of of His power that's going to be and always has been in His presence. What's He talking about? What's he, the glory of His power? They're, they're, they're not going to experience that. They're not going to have a part in it. Well, the power is God's mediator and Savior to give life and blessing and deliverance from the wrath to come. That's what He's talking about. God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified. That was Peter's message to him at Pentecost. God has made that same Jesus Lord. He's Lord. That humble, loving, merciful man that you despised, ignored, and set aside now sits on the throne of glory. All power given unto him in heaven and earth. Now let this sink in. Let, let, take this to heart. Let this take precedence in your reasoning. Men tell me, well I think, well before you say that, incorporate this into your thinking. That's what he's telling us to do. Let this sink in. Take this to heart. Let this take precedence in your reasoning and decision making. The Lord of glory is coming soon. He's coming soon in all the glory of His Father's house. And when He comes, heaven and earth will pass away. Houses and lands and animals and crops and nations and kingdoms and relationships and offices and situations, both good and bad. Hard times and good times. Heaven and earth shall pass away. Do we really believe that? I ask yourself, I, I've asked myself now for days, do I really believe that there's a man in glory 
with the power to destroy everything. Oh, I do. I not only believe he can, I believe he's going to. Because he said he would. Well, why? Why would any man allow such a thing to enter into his thinking? Why would any man entertain such thoughts as the end of the world? Well, here's the second lesson our Lord teaches in these verses. Verse 33. But my words shall not pass away. When it comes down to it, believers rest their hope in Christ upon His Word. Apart from His Word, I, I wouldn't even know that there was such a thing as a Christ. Would you? We don't... We don't just sit around and, and, and hope someday maybe our kids or our neighbors or our friends or say, you know, they're just going to be sitting around and one day it just dawns on them. There's a Christ. There's a God in heaven. The world's going to be destroyed. Sin's going to be judged. We, you're not going to come up with that. That's in the Word of God. That's how we know it. That's how we know it. I've never seen a heavenly vision or any sort of image of God or even His Son or any of those things that men talk about. I had a vision. I died and then I come back to life and all that kind of stuff. All my hope in Christ is founded on this book. Is that, is that right? I, the believer's foundation. I know Christ is the foundation, but you can't you can't build on the foundation apart from this book. And you won't know anything about that foundation apart from this book. And oh, how quick man is to judge the Word of God by natural reasoning. There is a way. He said it twice in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seemeth What's that talking about? That's talking about men sitting around listening to what you got to say and then they say, well, seems to me, <laughs> huh? Oh, my soul, how quick man is to judge the Word of God by natural reason, feelings, worldly principles, or established religion. Paul said, Thou wilt say unto me, this sovereign God that you've been talking about, this one who elected a people, he's going to save his people for the glory of his name. This sovereign, why does he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Huh? That's natural reasoning. That's what enters into men's thinking. That's, that's what Paul say. O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Let the potsherds of the earth strive with the potsherds of the earth, but don't let a man strive with God. Huh? If God says something, that's it. That's it. Now listen to people. I, I do listen. Now sometimes it may not seem like it. Sometimes it might seem like I'm totally ignoring you, but I am listening. And I listen to people concerning their marriage and concerning where they live and how to worship and whether they need to assemble with the saints or privately worship or 
what to believe about death and eternity, and mostly what I hear about is what seems right to them or what feels good. Well, I just feel like I need... <laughs> huh? What? Do we... I tell you, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I'm as guilty of it as anybody. When I... I read the Word of God and I see this and oh, how I want, I want to just believe it with nothing else there. And then natural reasoning and stuff begins to creep in. Isn't that awful? Lord, we believe. We believe. Help thou our unbelief. Oh, my soul. My friend, you and I are empty of all understanding about God. The only thing we know about God is what He's told us in this book. That's all we know. And what He's told us in this book, He's demonstrated in His Son. What He's promised in this book, He's brought to pass through, through apostles and, and prophets and preachers and evangelists. All through the Scriptures, these things that he talks about, he manifests. We're empty of understanding. Listen to this scripture. I've read this thing wrong so many times. And both, both I, I hesitate to say wrong, but I didn't get into the heart of it. In Hebrews 11, he's going to tell us about faith. And he said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, I know that God spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It was literally come to pass because God spoke it into existence. But that's not what this sentence here is talking about. We understand that the worlds were framed. Uh, that the worlds were framed. How do we understand it? By the Word of God. Huh? That's how I understand it. You ain't going to understand it if you go get your book on so-called science and read it. And, and you find yourself scratching your head and they're talking about this little one-celled animal and then a little radiation from a volcano creeped into the salt water and a reaction came and this little thing developed legs and crawled out on the, and evolved into a man. <laughs> we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Well, how did man find his place in it? Huh? All you have to do is open the book and read. He'll tell you. He took the dust of the earth, he formed man, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. That's how man come to be. I'm telling you, we're empty of understanding about God, and then we want to go into that emptiness to try to understand the Word of God. It's crazy, isn't it? <coughs> we have as the source of all our knowledge the Word of God. And Christ, whose name is the Word, and about whom the written Word bears testimony, never, now listen to me, never asked men to believe what he said based on the fact that he was saying it. And if ever there was a man who could say that, it was him. But he never said that. 
Everything he taught, and you check me out on this, everything that he taught and said to them, he said, for it is written. Huh? It is written. Maybe that's what we ought to do. What do you think? What should I preach? Should have trained myself in psychology and used my time to counsel men and women and teach men how to win friends and influence people or whatever it is that men do. Uh, hear what God the Holy Ghost has to say on this matter. Second Timothy 4.2 Preach the Word. Now, if you go back a chapter... Chapter 3, you go back there and he's going to tell you something. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, Timothy, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Preach the Word. Why? Because it's able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's the first reason. Second Timothy 3.15 Because it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 Because it is the testimony of God and is as a light shining in a dark place till the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. Second Peter 1.10 why preach the Word of God? Because it contains the seed of regeneration. Uh, this is the Word which by the Gospel is preached unto you. Being born again. Why preach the Word? Because it was written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Why preach the Word? Because it's given by inspiration of God. And the foundation of faith is Christ, and Christ can only be known through His Word. And notice this, verse 33, He does not say that His Word shall not pass away. He said, My words. Plural. His words is what he preached. Huh? There's a difference in there. This is the word, singular, the word. Words is what this thing contains. His words is what he preached. His word is what he, his words are what he taught. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? Listen to this, John 17. I'm going to preach on that, Lord willing, here in just a little bit. But our Lord said to His Father, They have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given Me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. 
and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. The words, my words not going to pass away, you see. And as I contemplate the world in its final hour, God's order of the universe being relaxed, Christ coming in all the glory of his Father's house, what a comfort to know that his words, his promises, not going to pass away. Not going to pass away. And what a comfort to know that the one who taught these things, spoke these words, is coming with it. I know this. I know that Christ Himself is coming. He's coming. I know that He'll raise up those bodies of His saints laid in the earth and call those still living in faith to meet Him in the air. Just like during the flood, not one drop of rain fell until everybody was in the ark and the door was closed. He'll utterly destroy this world and make all things new. How'd I know that? Because that was in His words. We'll sit with Him as He judges the world. And after that, unobstructed and everlasting life with Christ. His word's not going to pass away. Everything else will. When such things begin to happen, there'll be nothing to hold to. There's going to be nothing to rest in, nothing to give us comfort except His words. Nothing else going to matter. What do you have right now in your position that you think is going to matter when the heavens and the earth are passing away? Huh? But boy, they sure take precedence on things, don't they? Huh? Oh, my son. Here's the third lesson. Take heed to yourself. When God saves, regenerates, reconciles, and renews chosen sinners, it's an individual work. He works in you. In you. One at a time. Christ in you, the hope of glory, not Christ in us. And while we have a union with Christ and love one another and assemble together, we experience this salvation one at a time. My experience, I can't pass on to you. God's going to have to save you and give you an experience. And I don't mean some vision. I'm talking about knowing Him, trusting in Christ. That's a private thing, isn't it? Take heed to yourselves. And I hope by the grace of God to have some impact on those around me. I hope I do. I hope through this ministry I have some influence on those who hear me. Somebody said, well, you're preaching to me today. I hope so. It was your face that I was looking at when I was preparing it. I hope I'm preaching to you. 
But as to the end of all things and the hope I have concerning these things, I'm exhorted to take heed to myself. Myself. How so? Well, he tells us here, I'm to keep my heart from being overcharged with surfeiting. What's surfeiting? Overindulgence. Uh, look it up. That's what it means. Overindulgence. Excessive pleasures. Excessive eating. Excessive drinking. Excessive cares. Cares of this life. Boy, there's a subject you could write several books on. The cares of this world. Our Lord said, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He said, look at the birds. Go out in your yard and look at the birds. They don't build barns. They don't sow crops. And yet God clothes them and feeds them and protects them and preserves them. Does God take care for fowl? Or did He say it all together for our sakes? That's what He says. Your heavenly Father feedeth them. Oh, and are you not much better than they? Now our Lord's not teaching us here uh, to be thoughtless. But He's teaching us not to have anxious cares about these things. We don't pace, oh, what am I going to eat tomorrow? You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Of course, the food you ate yesterday, He gave to you. You thought you got it all on your own, but you didn't. He gave it to you. And He'll give you tomorrow's. He's not teaching us here to be uh, thoughtless, but to not have anxious cares and excessive worries, not to let such things enter into spiritual matters. And oh, how we like to season our decision-making and planning with the cares of this world, don't we? Oh, I do. I know I do. Listen to this. He that received good seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. What took it away? He heard it. He understood what you were saying. But the cares of this world just watered it down to nothing. We all have family and friends who have a lot of influence on us and they always give us advice and usually... It's based on the cares of this world. So what will these things mean to us when the end of the world comes to pass? And what is the danger in these things? Look at the last line of verse 34. And so that day come upon you unaware. Huh? Just like that. 
errada. Are we ready for these things? Are we looking for such things? Peter said, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Everything around you. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Oh, my soul, may the Lord be pleased to lay these things to our hearts. Thank you.